Welcome to the Gray Snapper Podcast. Hmm, very soothing. Our resource spotlight called American Gospel TV, and I just want to bring this to your attention because there's a ton of really great stuff on there. It's solid. It is, um, it's um, uh, solid stuff. It's doctrinally sound. It's well put together. American Gospel TV, and you can call it, or, or you can punch in your website, uh, your web browser, Watch agtv.com and uh, that's super helpful and that leads us into our weekly warning this week's weekly warning is on the issue of spiritual warfare there's a lot of goofy stuff out there about spiritual warfare and i just want to warn you about it a couple of things that that uh, go around about this issue is that there's this idea that we're to take territory uh, over these spirits that kind of rule different areas. Demons rule these different areas and all this kind of stuff. And that we're supposed to learn the name of that demon so we can take back control from that. Um, you know, we're praying, you know, hedges and hexes and all this kinds of stuff. We bind Satan or rebuke these demons or um, or whatever. Uh, but one of the things I want to just point out to you is that really in Scripture, the issue of spiritual warfare is not so much about power. It's not so much about um, political power. It's not so much about territory and all this kind of stuff. It's really about the, about the truth. The battle is over what is true and false, and it's about faith and obedience to the Lord. That's the spiritual battle. Um, and that what we're calling people to do is believe the Lord. We're calling them to, to believe what is true, and we're calling them to obedience to him. That's the spiritual battle. So there's there's a great um, series on American Gospel TV. Again, watch agtv.com. And uh, it's on spiritual warfare by Jim Osmond, and he does a great job of just exposing. It's a six uh, eight-part series. Um, it looks like about 30-minute messages each time, and he does an excellent job of exposing those issues. All right, so we have this distinct privilege of hearing from Pastor John Fernandez, and uh, really this morning we want to just give John the opportunity to <laughs> kind of circle back on his message on Sunday because it, it was kind of a momentous uh, topic for you in the history of this church and in your history in ministry, right? And so one of the things that you had mentioned was um, that when you preached this 20 years ago, you like it split the church. Is that is that right? Yes, uh, about 22 years ago. Preaching through the Book of Romans. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I preached on the doctrine of election and predestination, uh, it resulted in about 200 people leaving the church. Wow. So and the attendance uh, at that time was about how much? About 500. Okay. So about 100 of those actually were against the teaching. Another 100 left because... They didn't really understand anything, but they they felt like it must be bad if these other people are leaving. I think that the issue is all Christians believe in the doctrine of election because it's all over the Bible. The question is upon what basis did God elect or choose people? Mm. And the um, view that those people that left uh, held was that the basis of God choosing was on God's foreknowledge, seeing that people would choose him, and then therefore God chose them. Whereas the Bible teaches that God's choice of us was based solely on his sovereign mercy. And so the the text is pretty clear all over in Romans 8, 
28 and 29, the text is very clear that his purposes before time are the basis for his choice, before we could do anything. And of course, there's several reasons why we know that is true from other scriptures, one being that if God, in fact, did, as they erroneously maintain, if he did choose somebody based upon their choosing him, if that was the criteria, then the exact number of people, the percentage of people that actually God would have chose would be zero, Hmm. because... Romans clearly teaches that all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, if his choice was based upon that, none would choose, none, he would choose none. Not only because of that, but also the Bible's clear that the, the sinful heart of people on the earth is such that they don't want God. Hmm. They would not choose him because they don't want him. Yeah. God has nothing to do with their refusing to choose him. Yeah. He has everything to do with those who do choose him. Yeah. He has nothing to do with that, with people that don't choose him. Hmm. So circling back on then when you taught this previously, what what is it that f- people find so offensive about that doctrine that they felt they needed to actually leave the church? They couldn't stay. Well, I think when you get back into eternity and you deal with the predestination, the the, the basic reasonings of man are offended it it doesn't seem fair for one thing it doesn't seem fair that god would choose some and not all and the fact that that doctrine affects people that way is evident in the text of scripture itself in romans 9 where after paul teaches it he goes it's therefore not unfair is it Hmm. in romans 9 so god knows it would be deemed by by many to be unfair of course the answer to that is what scripture says And I I worded it this way, so follow with me. This may seem confusing at first. The doctrine of God's predestination, of his sovereign electing, is unfair because it's unfair. (laughs) What I mean by that is the doctrine of predestination is unfair because God, if he was fair, would not choose any. In other words, the real question is, not, is God unfair to choose some? The real question is, why did he choose any? It's unfair for God to have chosen any to be saved, especially at a cost of his own eternal son. So the doctrine of election on a bottom level is unfair, but it's unfair that he chose any, not that he didn't choose all. That's the real question. So on its root level, it's a completely unfair doctrine. Mankind doesn't deserve it. So another, on another note here, people often try to bail God out. That makes God look bad. No, it makes him look wonderful because he would actually choose at the cost of himself to save those who don't want him, yeah. Yeah. who would never have chosen him. And by the way, the way that you know that no one would choose God, unless God had actually intervened, chosen them, worked in their heart in time to call them, is evident in history. They didn't want Christ no matter how much he loved them and did miracles for them. They chose Barabbas. Yeah. When he returns in Revelation 19, after he's done all the miracles in the book of Revelation to prove to the human race that he is God, that Christ is risen from the dead, they choose to fight him when he returns. So even the evidence of seeing him return, they won't choose him. Mm-hmm. You think, well, maybe they'll choose him if, they, if they're really at the point of utter disaster. No, not book of Revelation says no. Even in hell. You think in hell, okay, somebody will choose God in hell. They they obviously see the reality. 
But in, in, in Luke 16, Jesus' story of the rich man and Lazarus, you have a, a rich man who is not saved, has not chosen God on the earth. So we get a glimpse of him in heaven. You'd think he'd be saying, I want you, God, I want you. Yeah, hell yeah. But in yeah. Luke 16, he never asks for forgiveness. He mm. never repents. He never asks, he never changes his mind about God. Mm. He just is miserable and doesn't want his brothers to come there. We would all be like that. Yeah. So God's people, those who do receive Christ, are overwhelmed with the humility and with brokenness and the fact that, God, you chose me and I don't deserve it. If you hadn't intervened in my life and opened my stubborn heart, I would have never believed you. So it overwhelms God's people with joy yeah. and with grace. But I'll let you ask me another question because i got a lot more to say about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so along those lines then, so what, what kind of things do people say? So when they're kind of on the way out the door, you know, about these doctrines, like what do people verbalize well, to you Well, here's about one that? thing I was verbalized to me quite often was... Again, it's not the text that it doesn't say it. It's just that there are rational presuppositions regarding what that doctrine means or mm. mistakenly think will happen. So they'll say, if you believe that God actually chose people before the foundation of the world, then therefore it will kill evangelism and missions mm. because it robs people, Christians, of the motivation to witness if God's going to save who he's going to save anyway. And how do you deal with that? Well, the same way the Apostle Paul did. He, in Second Timothy, First Timothy, he said, chapter 2, I do all things for the sake of the elect. Mm. God is not only ordained to save, he's ordained the means to do it, and that's where human responsibility comes in. So their, their fear, and by the way, I, I want to make sure that people understand that this is not a litmus test, a doctrine of election and predestination for salvation, nor yeah. is it for fellowship. Yeah. I don't want a condescending view uh, that people have towards those who may not understand or believe this. Yeah. God forbid. They love the Lord. They love Jesus. They have a heart for the gospel. Mm -hmm. They believe you're saved by faith alone in Christ. Hallelujah. We have great fellowship with them. Yeah. So I hope that God's people keep this doctrine in perspective yeah. and don't let it divide churches. But it is significant. It's mm -hmm. a significant doctrine because it really affects your peace yeah. and affects your whole view of God being able to work. Yeah. So getting back to the evangelism question, God... God is ordained to save and to bring into his family sinners. Hmm. None would come apart from his intervention. Yeah. It doesn't kill evangelism. It motivates it. Yeah. Because we know, wait a second, it's not up to us to convince him. Yeah. God's the one who draws them and saves them. Yeah. I can do all witness to everybody yeah. and actually rejoice in the fact that he will do the work of calling them. Hmm. So... In our particular case as a church, people were saying, you're going to kill missions. We had people leave. You're going to kill evangelism. And quite the opposite has happened in the last 22 years. Our missions has increased fivefold. Yeah. Fivefold. Wow. We've been, the Lord, by his mercy, allowed us to partner in planting, well, just for example, in India, 104 churches in India. Mm. Uh, our church has given more to, uh, to missions, five times more to missions than they have before this happened awesome. and that's keeping in, in, uh, inflation in, in, in mind so yeah. I just want to remind people that the doctrine of election will spur you to witness because you'll know the God of heaven who calls people yeah. can save them actually gives you full confidence because God has his elect out there that at the proper time when they hear the gospel they'll respond and also when they don't when people don't respond you know it's because of St. Corinthians it's yes. because they are blinded yes and you don't have yes. to repackage the gospel to uh, 
like a salesman trying to, yes. to you know, just give him the good stuff and keep the fine print hidden. Yes. Yeah. He works through foolish mean, means, foolish men, yeah. a foolish message to save in First yeah. Corinthians 1. Amen. That's awesome. Well, was there anything, uh, you know, in, in preaching, there's always, usually, there's something that you've prepared that you wanted to say that it either just didn't come out the way that you wanted to, or there's um, something you couldn't get to. Is there anything that you wanted to say in that message that you're like, I want to cover, I want to make sure I yeah, say Yeah, I think I should have taken a couple minutes more and highlighted what I just said a minute ago, that this doctrine is not essential for fellowship among Christians, and that please don't don't feel disparaged or don't feel as if there's some kind of wall of separation between you and another brother or sister who either doesn't understand or believe this. God forbid. Yeah. Those who believe in the doctrines of grace and election sometimes inadvertently get a condescending spirit, a judgmental spirit towards other brothers and sisters. It's like a story I heard one time about a brother who didn't understand or didn't believe that doctrine of God's predestination of saving. And this Calvinistic man who was staunchly adamant about God saves the elect, he will bring his elect in. And this, this guy who didn't believe it turns to him and he goes, well, he goes, bottom line is, I like the way I do evangelism more than the way you don't. <laughs> yeah. They, got, they, they have a heart for God. Many of them love, many of them, they're our brothers and sisters. They're great movements of evangelism and of, of the work of God have happened among these dear brothers and sisters. So I would have emphasized that more. Yeah, because yeah, it is interesting how um, we kind of can take doctrines and then twist them to our own advantage in the sense that if we don't really like talking to people, yeah. We can lean on the sovereign election of God. It's like, well, God's just going to do yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I don't need to be, I don't need to engage, you know, or, yeah. you know, just like anything. But, you know, we can tend to craft our own personal theology. There's one other thing I would say, yeah. and that is no one has the ultimate, no one can fathom this. Yeah. It gives me what I call theological brain freeze. Yeah. There's a point where it just hurts your head. Yeah. But let the facts be the facts. Mm. God is a God who reveals truths that are understandable yet unfathomable. And the same response to the doctrine of election should be what dear Christians have towards other doctrines that they gladly embrace to have equal brain-freezing effects. For instance, how can God be three and one at the same time? How can God's Son be fully God and have limited knowledge and yet be omniscient and God at the same time. Yeah. How can he, how could he say, I don't know when the time of my coming is and yet be omniscient yeah. simultaneously. He has a divine nature and a human nature. Christians just sit back and cry out to God and go, God, you're awesome. I can't comprehend it, but yes. you revealed it. I praise your God. Yeah. How can he create out of nothing? Yeah. So God, that's what makes him glorious. God mm. says there's two parallel realities. One is I've chosen, I elect, the other is man's fully responsible and his choices matter. Yeah. Romans 10 is, of course, the biggest chapter in the entire book of Romans, maybe in the Bible, on human responsibility. Mm. How will they be saved? Mm. How will they be saved, he goes, unless, unless they hear, and how will they hear unless someone preaches, and how will they preach unless they're sent? Yeah. Well, a hyper-Calvinist or somebody who believes the, the wrong way about doctrinal election would go, this answer would be, well... God will save him. He said, yeah. God is elect. That's yeah. not what Paul says. Yeah. He goes, no, we're going to sin. We're going to pray. Yeah. Why? Because that's the, that's, we're responsible. Yeah. So in other words, Romans 10 describes human responsibility and choices as if God isn't even sovereign. Yeah. 
Right. It's a reality. Yet in chapter 9, he describes God's sovereign election of people as if men weren't even responsible. Yeah. What's going on, God? They're both true. Yeah. It hurts my head. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah. I'm the God of the universe. Do you believe in my triunity? Yes. Believe me. Yes. I'm sovereign, and yet men are responsible equally. Yeah. Witness, your prayers matter, your witnessing matters, yeah. your life matters, and know that because I'm sovereign and have chosen, I will use that and draw my sheep to myself. Is that in Romans 9 where he says, uh, you know, well, then how can God hold me accountable? Who can resist his will? And his answer is, who are you to talk back to God? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he doesn't give him a logical yes. answer. He's like, yes. he's God, man. Like, you have to yes. accept that. And by the way, I've, 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 through the years, I've had the privilege of preaching this for about 40 years, and it still hurts my head, but yeah. you have to go with what Scripture says, yeah. not with what seems reasonable to you. And, the, and that's kind of the bottom line, right, is mm -hmm. like, I mean, we don't, I don't know if anyone would logically come up with these, this way of thinking, but we have to go where the Scripture goes. It really is yes. ultimately an issue of faithful yes. submission to God as He's revealed Himself to be, right? And Paul, Paul knew that this doctrine would be difficult yeah and yet he commands it and he even says after three years of pastoring in ephesus he goes i did not shrink back from declaring you the whole counsel of god hmm. his predestinating will your human responsibility i told you all of it why because yeah. god revealed it i've often asked myself god why do you have to reveal this stuff that hurts our heads <laughs> I, I've, I've said god why do you got this stuff in the bible and he goes john because it glorifies me in Ephesians 1 12 it's yeah. to the praise of the glory of my grace yeah. christians often think god's grace started at the cross yeah but it didn't hmm. it started in eternity yeah there's an underground unseen eternal grace that overwhelms and exalts god's glory and yeah. it thrills the heart of god's child when they see the grace of god extends all the way back to eternity yeah. and that his choice was by the way his choice was based on foreknowledge foreknowledge of what not of us being good, because the Bible says none are good. Mm -hmm. Not of us choosing him, because the Bible said none would choose him. Yeah. What's his foreknowledge of? It's his foreknowledge of all your honoriness. <laughs> he said, while we were yet enemies, yeah. he died for us. So here's the thrilling thing about God revealing that. God sovereignly chose to have a relationship with me, seeing all of my flaws, hmm. my sin and my evil. Hmm. Well, he would want God's children to know that because... You are an ugly date. Hmm. Your selfies don't look good to God. He sees all of your ugliness. Yeah. So don't, in time, here on earth, fall back into thinking that somehow God's love and affection for you is rooted in how attractive you are and how good you've been doing lately. It's rooted in His yeah. love. We love Him because He first loved us. Mm. And that love for us started back in eternity, Amen. not at the cross. Yeah, very cool. Well, is there anything else you would like to add before we uh, end this this particular session? No, I think I think I awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Pastor John. I really um, appreciate this conversation. Great, edifying conversation. You're welcome. Well, thank you for joining us again today, Gray Snappers. Until next week, keep swimming. Mm -hmm.